Welcome to the Food Freedom Life podcast, where we'll chat about everything food, body image, and emotional healing. If you want eating, movement, and health to be a part of your life without taking up your whole life, you're in the right place. I'm your host and registered dietitian, Brittany Allison, and I'm here to bring you the best tips, tools, strategies, hacks, and inspirational stories that will help you get out of the diet binge cycle so that you can heal, eat, and make room for the things that truly matter. Grab your coffee and let's chat. This is the Food Freedom Life podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Food Freedom Life podcast. Today on the show, we have a very special guest. We have Brie Campos. Brie is a licensed professional counselor who has worked with clients in eating disorder recovery for six plus years with a special interest in body image. She's passionate about using the health at every size paradigm when it comes to helping clients find freedom with food and peace with their current body. Brie is also excited about helping other providers become confident in their work with body image so that more people can have the help they need in making peace with their body. Welcome to the show, Brie. I'm so happy to have you. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, I've actually done a program with Brie before and I followed her for such a long time. So it feels really exciting to have her on the show to share all of her knowledge. I'm so excited to have you here. I I genuinely am. I've been really looking forward to this interview and I can't wait to just dive into everything and have everybody who's listening right now learn so much from you. Oh, let's do it. Yeah. Awesome. So I wanted to just start off by getting a bit more about your story because I actually don't know too, too much about your story and how you got into this work. And did you always think that you would be a body image therapist and coach? Mm. Um, no. Uh, so I, it's always a fun game when I ask people like, okay, if you had to guess what you thought my major was in college, and I'm going to ask you this, what did you Ooh. do? What do you think I majored in? Mm, good question. Mm, maybe like anthropolo- anthropology. <laughs> <laughs> you would think with all of my, with all my references to, I'm like, all of the anthropologists are probably <laughs> She is butchering <laughs> it. Absolutely. For those that are listening, I, I often refer to body image as an archaeological dig. Um, <laughs> Maybe that's no. where I got it from. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. So so I actually, my my initial major in college was theater. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. And then I switched to something much more reliable, education and English. Um, I was going to be, I wanted to be a middle school English teacher. And um as <laughs> circumstance would have it, I needed to pass like a portion of the praxis, which was like the test of like, you know, not how good of a teacher you're going to be, but are you able to pass the standardized test? And right. I, I couldn't do it. I could not pass the math portion of the exam. Uh, and so they were like, oh, you should just go back uh, the alternate route, which is you go for your master's. And by the time I went for my master's, um, I had taken a year off and I was doing some volunteer work and found that what I actually wanted to do was be uh, like a solid counselor for folks. Uh, And so I started off as, you know, just wanting to do therapy. I wanted to do it all. Um, And my internship, my very first internship started at an eating disorder center. and. That is where I fell in love with body image and with group therapy, if I'm being totally honest. I loved the group aspect, and there was something so powerful about that. Um, and then also, too, you know, just having lived experience with body image. Um, yeah, it almost felt like a no brainer when I was like, oh, I want to help figure out this problem, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, such a journey. And it's, I love that you have a completely different education that you started off with. I do too. I have a history degree as well. Uh, (laughs) And, you know, I think it takes some time to really figure out what you want to do. And, you know, maybe you need to just dapple in something different along the way. Literally is a whole other podcast episode of like, how did I know at 17 years old what I was going to want to study for the rest of my life? And You know, the other piece of this as well is like, you know, when I when I kind of transitioned over to coaching, I was I don't want to say resentful of counseling, but I was definitely burned out. It it wasn't lighting me up like it once was. And it was because all of the issues that I struggled with personally bled into my my work life which is this is an entirely different conversation again (laughs) but just of like not having really good boundaries not being able to advocate for myself of like no i'm sorry i said i wasn't available and and sticking to that um you know not being able to to you know i worked in community mental health and i mean the the people who work in community mental health they were advantageous i get it they wanted to provide the care for their clients, but often at the expense of, as you know, as me as a provider. And I was just thinking last night, I was like, you know, what might be fun if I like found one like therapy couple that I get to work because it's just so, so different than what I'm used to. But what I've done is now create a job where I get so many different um, opportunities. Like, so not only do I work with clients who are struggling with body grief, but I also get to work with providers who want to become more proficient in body image. And so it allows me to, allows me to grow and change and, and not get stagnant, which is awesome. You get to do a little bit of everything and you're so good at what you do. I learned so much from your program and I'm really grateful that I had the opportunity to take it. Thank you. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. And so if you hadn't worked at that eating disorder center, do you think you would have gotten into this side of the work? Well, it was actually at that eating disorder center that I met somebody who told me about health at every size. Oh, and so um, I don't know. I'm, I don't think so. Um, I know that I was passionate about. See, this is a, this is all going to come together nicely. Um, <laughs> the, when I was working at an eating disorder clinic, I had no knowledge of intuitive eating, health at every size, and what I became painfully aware of is what was being and this is a debregard quote what was being prescribed for me as a person in a large body mm-hmm. was being diagnosed in my clients who happen to have smaller bodies mm. and there was this dissonance of like well wait a second why is it different like why is me existing in a larger body pursuing weight loss okay but my clients pursuing weight loss at a smaller body is not okay. Like mm-hmm. where's the line? And so it really became this puzzle that just felt unsolvable. And uh, when I when I heard about health at every size and intuitive eating, it clicked. It was like, mm-hmm. oh, this is what I never knew that had words to it. And after coming to peace with the fact that I'd been lied to a majority of my life from diet culture, other areas of my life started to unravel. So part of my barrier to food freedom was 
you know, I was just mentioning to you that I, I ordered donuts to be delivered to my house this morning because last night I went to sleep and I was like, you know what? I want to wake up and I want to have donuts. And that yeah. sounds absolutely lovely. There would never have been an ability to do that because what would have happened is I would have said, I shouldn't want to eat donuts because that's what's making me fat. Right. And if I'm fat, the story I'm telling myself is fill in the blank. It's changed over time. Mm -hmm. Beginning, it was, if I'm fat, then, then I'm a failure. Then I have failed. Like, I'm ADHD, but I'm very type A. I don't like to fail at things at all. Yeah. <laughs> so Enneagram one wing. And, uh, and so, yeah, I didn't want to be a failure at dieting. And so when I learned that dieting actually doesn't work for the majority of people, it was a lot easier to accept, ah, this is not, this is not something you're going to, if you fight hard enough, you're going to be able to achieve. Um, and so, yeah, when it stopped being about my food, it became about my body image. Mm -hmm. Where I can tell you now is where it's not about my body image. It's about my business or how much I'm giving or how accessible I'm making myself to people, which is hard because it, it, it dances on the line of a value, but it's cloaked in people pleasing and wanting to make myself likable. And so, yeah. right, it, 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 me not wanting to eat donuts was that same thing, hmm. was I want people to like me. So all of that to say, and then we can unpack it, <laughs> <laughs> is that, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I would have ever ended up in this field had I not um, learned about intuitive eating and health at every size, if I had never learned that actually dieting doesn't work and that your efforts are um meaningless because the reality is you're most likely going to fail um based off of the statistics and the research that there's no evidence that people maintain weight loss for more than you know two to three years after um you know they've attempted weight loss and so and so sonia renee taylor talked about this moment um, when you're when you're coming to awareness of like the Eurocentric beauty standards that have been set are not actually attainable. Yeah. Right. Uh, ideal beauty is ideal because it doesn't exist. It's a quote from Naomi Wolf. And so she describes it. So Sonia describes it as a ladder. And it's like you get to a point where you can keep climbing the ladder knowing you're never going to reach the top or you can say, screw it. I'm not even going to try. I'm not even going to climb the ladder. Yeah. And so that's how, that's how body image with Brie was born. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. And I love how your journey is just so interwoven into the making of your business. I think that's probably the same for so many practitioners who are in this field, but what really stood out to me is just how you shifted, how much value you put in your own worth from your body to these other pieces in your life. Like how much am I giving back to people? Am I doing the best that I can in my work? Am I making myself accessible? All of these other pieces, there was this huge shift for you. And that's really what body image healing and food freedom is about, right? It, it totally, it totally is. And, and so I have, a, I have a quote on the back of my phone from Brene Brown that is currently what I'm, I'm struggling with it's her concept of it's called big 
-hmm. And the quote is, what boundaries need to be in place for me to be within integrity to make the most generous assumption about you? Mm. Oftentimes what I'll find is that while giving is a value of mine, again, it is this very fine line of also there's part of me that likes to give because I believe that I can secure love through my giving. And these are old wounds. These are wounds that go back way beyond my body image wounds. And this is what I'll talk about in the program you did in the program for for body grievers is that that initial thought or feeling of I don't like my body or, you know, whatever narrative that you're filling in it is merely scapegoating and trying to place the blame on your body when there's actually a deeper rooted wound. And so, you know, I'll give you an example of this. I don't think my friend will mind, but I have a friend who recently told me that she had attempted a diet and failed. And like, I was like, well, you know, let's talk about it. How are you feeling? And, you know, she was like frustrated that I even let myself fall into it. And I was like, this is diet culture, right? Diet culture is really good at making you believe that you need it. And I was like, let's just go there. I was like, what did you believe that? Like, if, if we know that dieting doesn't work, if we know that we know the punchline, what is the thing that's motivating it? Cause if it's not quote unquote, to be healthy, what, what really is motivating it? And she was really honest and said, what keeps motivating me is the fear that I'm never going to find a partner in my larger body. Mm. And that is, it's a fear that comes up for a lot of people. Yeah. And it's not true. As somebody who's single, as somebody who is, uh, you know, trying to put myself into this dating world as much as possible, it is not true that your body makes you undesirable to an entire population. And what is true is that fat phobia is rampant in our culture yeah. and it's not that it doesn't make it harder. We can hold space for the dissonance. We can hold space that it is harder, but not that you are undesirable merely because of the body size you exist in. And holding space for both of those realities is such a big piece of all this. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. And I think that diet culture just perpetuates this idea that we have to believe one thing or the other, that there is no room for the gray where both can exist. But I think that's such a beautiful way of putting it, of we can hold space that this is harder, but also you are not undesirable to an entire population. That is not inherently true. And if you're not ready to accept that, right, that's okay. Then what we need to do is we need to sit in the sock. We need to grieve a little bit more around the idea that fat phobia is is rampant in in dating culture. Mm -hmm. Like that is not beyond me that it might feel unrealistic to accept it. And and let's talk about acceptance, right? Acceptance is this concept that it's so misconstrued. Oftentimes I think people think it means I'm going to like it. Yeah. Nope. Not at all. Nope. <laughs> to do with liking the results. Acceptance is merely no longer resisting what is. Yeah. So if you think about when, when um, in the stages of grief, people aren't getting to the stage of acceptance like, woohoo, this person died. Awesome. No, it is. 
I have accepted, I have made peace with the fact that I can't change this. Mm -hmm. And so let's talk more about that. You talk a lot about body grief and I love that you've coined this term and, and come up with this concept because I think it so perfectly describes body image outside of diet culture. And so how would you define body grief and how would someone know if this is what they're experiencing? Yeah. I can't say that for sure I was a person no. who explained it. <laughs> it feels I, like you are. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm the first person to put a definition to it. Yeah. Okay. Um, sure. And so if, if you look up the definition of grief, yeah, the definition is deep sorrow. Hmm. And when you look up the definition of sorrow, the definition is loss that causes distress. So I've paired those two together and defined body grief as the distress accompanied with the perceived loss of one's body changing. Mm. The distress accompanied with the perceived loss of one's body changing. How that kind of gets tethered apart a little bit is that works for somebody whose body is changing during puberty. Mm -hmm. This works for somebody whose body is changing during menopause. This works when someone's body is changing because they are pregnant or because they are ill, but it also works in the concept of you've gained weight and your body has changed, or you are losing weight because of, you know, an illness and you're getting compliments on it. There's just so much mm -hmm. that can be encompassed into it. But yeah, I think that part of what really grieves folks when it comes to giving up diet culture is that they are no longer allowed to pass in society as a thin or quote unquote healthy individual. And there's privileges that are lost with that. Mm. Yeah. There's this idea of letting yourself go if you're no longer pursuing weight loss and engaging directly in diet culture, almost no matter what body size you are, although it disproportionately affects people in larger bodies because Correct. it's, yeah, there's just this idea of giving up, I think, mm. rests more heavily on those individual shoulders. Just such a, like, let's just un unpack that a little bit. Mm -hmm. like, when people say, oh, you're just giving up on yourself. Like, how does that become the assumption that because I no longer want to diet, I've given up on myself? Like, I don't, I don't even know. How did that even come to be? How is that the only thing that defines putting energy into yourself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like I am the fattest that I ever am. And I am the most boundaried, mm -hmm. the most emotionally healthy, the most self-protective that I've ever been in my life. And so I think it, it's defining health in one way and, and not even health. Yeah. It's health passing. Right. That's a real, I've never heard it put that way, but that's a really good way of putting it health passing because you can't actually tell from looking at somebody. Correct. And so um, I, I just posted a, a, a reel on my Instagram talking about like when people say like they care about like the health of a fat person. If you truly cared about the health of a fat person, do you care about my mental health? Do you care about my emotional health? Do you care about my body image, how I perceive myself, my worth and my value? 
most times you don't most times it's like okay but what about your heart and 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 this goes back to the science of like there isn't actual causation connected to the health issues that we pander around body size um but what we do know is that weight stigma is very real and that it is harder for someone in a larger body to get quality unbiased medical care Mm -hmm. if you're concerned with health you should be concerned with that but we're not absolutely absolutely and it's really hard for people to wrap their head around because it's so different unfortunately from the ideology that they've been brought up with and that they've been surrounded with it's hard for people to kind of get that even people who are trying to pursue this work too it's a really big change yeah yeah absolutely and so how does body grief intersect with body acceptance and body neutrality do they even intersect at all yeah so i i like the idea of body grief because i think of the stages of grief um, in the same way. And so if you're not familiar with the stages of grief written or created by Elizabeth Cooper Ross, who they originally the stages of death and dying, um, the stages were denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and then acceptance. And so again, that acceptance not being like, woohoo, I like the outcome, but as opposed to I'm no longer depressed about the outcomes. And so I really feel like body grief kind of just heeds the line between bargaining Mm -hmm. is the, maybe I can still fix this Mm. and the depression of, I can't believe I can't fix this. When you are no longer grieved, when there's no longer a narrative attached to body size, Mm -hmm. that is when we move into acceptance. What I will tell you is that unless we explore the outer edges of that grief, unless we, as I say here, excavate those body image thoughts, it doesn't go anywhere because we have been conditioned to believe whatever narrative is playing out. Mm-hmm. And so when, when I have a belief that I want to unlearn, I actually have this right, right in front of me on my computer, I will write down this belief so that I know this is a thought I want to excavate. This is a thought that I would like to remove and then i try to find an impactful reframe as i start seeing this theme come up in my life so for instance one of the the thoughts that keeps coming up for me is we are trying to take care of everyone and in an effort to take care of everyone i often forget to take care of myself yeah and so so how do i how do i continue to align with my values of caretaking while also honoring and protecting and taking care of me first Hmm. I really like that. I like the idea of writing it down and having it because I think even just doing that helps to bring more awareness into that thought and when it's coming up and helps you challenge it more on the day to day. Well, and I think if you think about like building awareness, like, and I mean, and I, I know I'm the, I'm the interviewee, <laughs> but like when before food freedom, did you realize how many, how much your brain was consumed by food thoughts. Absolutely not. I I did, but I didn't. I did, but I really normalized it for myself. Right. And I didn't actually fully appreciate the weight of how much it rested on my shoulders every single day from the second I woke up to the second I went to sleep. And for me, like that food freedom journey was like, it was pulling back the layer of like, oh my god this is the internal dialogue i have 
every time I'm trying to make peace with like, or every time I'm trying to eat food. Yeah. Uh, I shared, I shared in, in my stories last night that I was trying to decide between two fast food places to eat. And somebody messaged me and was like, thank you for normalizing eating fast food. And I was like, yeah, like, absolutely. Like, I remember the first time that I decided well in intuitive eating that I was going to go get fast food mm-hmm. and the amount of guilt that came up for me. Like, I felt like a hardened criminal. Yeah. Mm, this is information. There's a story playing out here. Mm-hmm. And can we find out if this story is true? And when I could recognize, no, you know what? The story isn't true. I created a goalpost in my mind that felt attainable. I said, one day, I'd like to be able to go and order fast food without guilt, without shame, and without feeling like I'm, I've done something absolutely horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. So walking into that moment last night of like, oh yeah, like I used to feel that way. I used to feel like a bad person because I ordered fast food. And, and you know, like, let's also go there. I also got yelled at by so many people about um, the harmful donations of, of the fast food restaurants. And the reality is, I mean, they're both bad businesses. <laughs> I don't want to support either of those businesses. Um, and in order to maintain my food peace, I need to be able to continue to honor my cravings when it comes up. That's how we make peace with food. Mm-hmm. Is that even if there's an, you know, an ethical confliction of like, but this place donates to anti-LGBT, which I'm not sure. Are you, do you have Chick-fil-A by you? I think we have one, <laughs> honestly. I think there's literally one in Toronto and I don't know if there's really any anywhere else in Canada. <laughs> it's like such a big deal here. And I don't, I don't know if I get the hype, mm-hmm. um, but coming back to this concept of like, there is no ethical consumption under capitalism. Like mm-hmm. you are not going to make everybody happy and somebody is going to lose. And more than 90% of the time, I would, I would take the loss myself mm-hmm. to people. Right. This is how we stop the obsession. This is how we stop the binge. This is how we stop is by allowing ourselves the freedom to do so. Yeah. Because you alone are not going to fix the business practices of these big corporations and you have to eat. And yeah. sometimes you have to go for what's available and it sounds good sometimes too. So choosing to nourish yourself over making yourself feel guilty for something that ultimately is out of your control. Right. Right. It's like different than like a food. I mean, I'm like a clothing place, right. Where it's like, okay, you have options when it comes to clothing or maybe you don't have options, but like, I'm thinking of like some of the, the ethical conflicted practices. It's like, like I'm thinking of, um, like Shein, right? Yeah. I've gotten a lot of negative feedback. So don't chop there. Like, right? Like that's how we can say, all right, let's let's find somewhere else. Especially as a person in a larger body. I just don't make it a habit to tell people where they should or should not chop or where they should or should not patron. Mm-hmm. Um, because if clothing is hard to come by, if if there's any secondary narrative at all, that if I could, ju- if I don't eat this, then maybe my body will do this. It's not worth the risk for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, honoring yourself in the moment and 
understanding that, hey, I have to eat something and this is what's available and having the freedom to do that and the space to not feel so guilty about it is, I mean, it's night and day. Yeah. The way that that feels and then the way your inner dialogue talks to you the rest of the day, the following day after that, not having that chatter, that noise in your head all the time, life-changing. And the same could be said for your body. Mm -hmm. That like, if you feel consumed by your body, we have to pull the curtain back and dive in a little bit. Yeah. Because the more that we dive in, the more aware we will become and the more room there is for change. Totally. And so what would you say are the biggest things that keep people stuck in their body image journey? I would say there are three major hurdles that keep people stuck. Yeah. Uh, The first one is their concern for health. Mm -hmm. The second is the concern for judgment from other people. Right. And third is their concern for uh, their comfort. They're like, but I'm not comfortable. Mm. Those are big, big pillars. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it like, so how do we, how do we over, how do we overcome those Mm -hmm. barriers? Um, pulling back the layer, peeling back the onion and figuring out what does it mean if I don't have my health? Mm. What does it mean if I don't have my comfort? Oftentimes that, that hurdle is rooted in the idea that, well, it's my own fault. I caused this. And as long as that, that is the narrative that keeps coming up, the more you're going to stay in this place of self-hatred and oscillating between bargaining and depression rather than moving through it to acceptance. Yeah. And so somebody who really blames themselves for the fact that they have gained weight, the fact that they have dieted for most of their life, the fact that maybe they're developing health complications. I know this is not a simple question, but how might someone start to work through that? So one of the the things I talk about in, in my business is helping folks to realign to their values. Yeah. So if you're finding that you have thoughts that are out of alignment with the values that you hold Mm -hmm. would you have these thoughts for someone that you care about would you have the same expectation for those people and if not then how do we evict this thought how do we excavate this thought process Mm -hmm. because if you wouldn't have those same thoughts for somebody that you care deeply about that's a pretty good sign that it's not within your value system And that it's not fair to be thinking those things about yourself. We need to work on that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I want to change gears a little bit and just ask about pictures. Mm. Something that brings people a lot of grief in their body image is pictures. Mm. Why are pictures such a source of stress? Why can't we just look at a picture that's maybe not the best of ourselves and move on from it? That's such a good question. I I have this belief that the reason that pictures are so emotive filled is because mm-hmm. for so long they were a measure of our progress. Yeah. So for so long we used pictures to um, assess how good we were doing on our diet. Mm-hmm. And so now when we're not dieting and the first time we look at a photo, it has information for us based off of how we've been conditioned to feel about it. Right. And so uh, when, when I have folks that tell me, you know, I'm really struggling with making peace with 
the photo like or with with how I look in photos or like it it so grieves me one of the things I would have you do is I would have you scale it on a scale of one to ten mm-hmm. how distressful is it right and if it is an exponentially distressful um like a seven mm-hmm. again ten being the most stressful I'm not going to have you explore that that's going to be one we throw in the vault. We're going to say, we're going to throw a tarp over this. We will come back to this. We will excavate this feeling later. Mm. If it's like a four or five that it's activated, but it's not distressful, then I would say, all right, let's, let's do it. Let's figure out what is distressful about it. The more that I realize the narrative around my photos is like, oh my gosh, People are going to notice I have a double chin. If they notice I have a double chin, it must mean that I've gained weight. If I've gained weight, then I have failed. And it all comes back to those core beliefs. It's not as simple as just looking at a picture, not liking how you look, and then being upset about it. It's all of these things that are hiding beneath the surface that are bringing up a response. Well, and, and, you know, I break up the definition based from uh, confidentbody.net that Body image is not just how we see ourselves when we look in the mirror, but it is also our affect, which is how we feel about ourselves, mm-hmm. the beliefs that we have and we hold about ourselves, uh, and the behaviors that are connected to it. And so I think that for many of us, um, we think I have to like how the outward perception looks. What I can tell you is that there are times where I don't care for how I look, it just no longer impacts my affect. It no longer has a narrative or a story that is playing out. Mm. And that vastly changes my experience with taking pictures. Like if I go into a picture knowing I am not expecting to look like a supermodel, like that's not my goal. My goal is to capture this moment with my friends. I want to be able to remember this moment. It changes the expectation that I have going in. And that in itself can help you be a bit softer when you look at a picture because it's not taking a jab at who you are as a person and your core beliefs about yourself. Right. It's not a personal failing. It's just mm-hmm. that like even the people that are looking in photo, like it's unrealistic. It's an unrealistic standard set by the beauty industry, which I've, I've really enjoyed sharing this with folks in 2021 after the world experienced the worst pandemic we've ever had the beauty industry made 500 billion dollars wow i had no clue 500 500 billion dollars and i was doing some research and it's because they pivoted from makeup to skincare of we'll take care of your face Mm. you should do you should you need to take care of your face and from one entrepreneur to another very good marketing. Yeah. But on the heels of how many people's insecurities, how many people now since the pandemic have second thoughts about being on camera without a filter, like how many people are impacted by this? And it's so interesting because I've, I've seen that shift. Absolutely. On I'm on TikTok and just scrolling through. I mean, there are so many videos about skincare that are targeted towards us as consumers. And there's so many, it's so confusing. There's so many products out there. There's so many different things. And everybody's saying, this is the best one. You need to try this and like have this 10 step skincare routine. And it's like, if I bought all these things, I'm spending hundreds of dollars right now. Mm -hmm. It's massive. 
and I mean, this goes back to like the ethical consumption of like, you know, I don't get in the business of telling people what I think they should do. Like, should you wear makeup? Should you not? Should your body positivity transcend that? Like, I wear, I wear makeup. I'm not wearing any makeup right now. <laughs> um, as I, as I come on here with my side bun, um, uh, <laughs> You know, I, I'm not in the business of telling people what they should do with their bodies. Um, even when it comes to, you know, do we get plastic surgery? Do we get makeup? Mm-hmm. Like, where do we draw the line? Right. For me, I always want to go back to my motivation. What is my motivation? So if my motivation for putting on makeup is to help ease some of that anxiety when I am taking a photo, then that makes sense and at least i know and understand the intention if the intention is i'm going to hide all my blemishes so that nobody thinks that i have any blemishes it's it's fallible logic like it's just not it's not realistic for any for anyone to make that assumption but um also coming back i just want to say like if you're somebody who's really struggling with the idea of well how do i how do i make peace with my photos how do i make peace with with the person that i see in the photos i want you to ask yourself would you be as critical to anyone else who was in the photo or would you recommend your partner your loved one your your child speak as critically to themselves and if the answer is no then it's probably out of alignment with you Mm. going back to that value system again yeah always going back And so speaking of skincare, I think, I mean, this is kind of a different question, but what do you think about Botox and things like that, that are, I also, I feel just at least from what I'm seeing on social media on the rise, how does that come into body grieving, body acceptance? How does that play in? Can it fit? Can it not? Again, I'm I'm not in the business of telling people what they can do with their bodies. Like, I think that from what I've seen from folks who have had plastic surgery, like I use my example from my uh, clinical research of the Real Housewives of any county um, (laughs) and how oftentimes they'll get these surgeries and their partners are like, I would really not, would rather you not do this. And I find it so fascinating that it's like, who are you doing it for then? Like Mm -hmm. if your partner is asking you not to do it, who is it for? Um, and so the problem, the problem with any plastic surgery is that what is the goal? What is the goalpost? Mm -hmm. And if the goalpost is, I would like to feel comfortable with how I look, what we know about body dysmorphia, what we know is that the goalpost is going to continue to move. That it's like, oh, first I just want to get, you know, you know, these wrinkles up here. Oh, but you know what I noticed over here? I have some blemishes over here. Oh, you know what? Well, while you're already here, why don't we do this? Yeah. And if you think that changing one thing is going to be enough, like you're going to be one and done, you don't understand body dysmorphia. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> body dysmorphia is that concept of if I can just fix this thing, then I will feel better. And what I have found is that that's oftentimes what we want to do with dieting is if I can just pretend that this doesn't exist, if this is no longer a problem, then I won't feel this way. And what I found within body grief is that actually when you can explore the story or the narrative of what you're communicating to yourself, that is what 
transcends the narrative around the meaning that having plastic surgery would would alleviate it goes back to that ladder right you can climb the ladder that is within your right i can't tell somebody it is not right to climb the ladder Mm -hmm. but if i'm going to tell you not to get botox then i'm going to tell you not to wear makeup and not to Mm -hmm. shape your eyebrows or shape them or you know whatever like where do you draw the line where do you draw the line so if, if i was a person who's like i'm trying to figure this out come back to your motivation what is your motivation if it comes your anxiety to be able to walk into the workplace with a little bit of makeup on, then at least you're aware of that. Yep. If you enjoy wearing makeup because it's a form of art, that's good information. It's realizing what is your motivation and uh, if there's any secondary narrative, how do we uncouple that from uh, that action? Yeah. I like what you said a lot about the goalposts and just checking in with, am I trying to meet a goalpost? Because ultimately that's never, that's never going to happen. And just like you said, that's exactly what happens with dieting too, is, oh, I want to reach this weight or this size. And then you reach that weight or that size, and then it's not enough and it's never enough. And coming to terms with the fact that it's never going to be enough really highlights the need for grieving. Yeah. Yeah. So just to wrap things up, what is maybe one thing someone could do every single day to start feeling a bit better about their body? Yeah. I mean, I think one thing you can definitely do is, and if you know me at all, you know that I'm not a fan of the affirmations, Yeah. Um, but of finding an impactful reframe mm-hmm. uh, of what, what is a narrative that's playing out in your head? How do we unlearn it? putting that reminder up in many, many places. So one of the things I have is I have a a wall of my reframes. Um, So when I have my core belief that I'm like, Ooh, I would like to challenge or change this thought. Mm -hmm. Here's the reframe. And so the reframe will live on my wall and I can look at it every time. And so one of the, one of the hurdles that I was first exploring in my fear of accepting my body, my here now body um, was that, not everyone's going to like me. Like people are going to discredit me for my body. And so my reframe became, you are not for everyone and you are deeply loved. That those that love you are going to love you so deeply. And that brought solace. And it still sucks that not everybody loves me, but it's not a realistic standard to get everyone to love me. There's nothing I would be able to do to be able to get everyone to love me. And so when I was no longer trying to get everyone to love me, it allowed me to become my authentic self. So I would definitely recommend um, building awareness around your self-talk, mm-hmm. what impactful reframes that you have at the ready, uh, and then uh, practicing body kindness. What does that look like to you? I think there's a lot of times that these terms get like thrown around in our community of like body neutrality, body kindness, body respect, mm-hmm. treating your body like a friend rather than like an enemy. How would that vastly change how you interact with your body on a daily basis. Yeah. Treating your body like you would treat a friend's body if they were in your care. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I think those are both really great things that people can do. And I mean, the, the awareness piece is a journey and that's something that's challenging to do, but a huge part of all this and so worth it. And that will evolve over time, but I, I love the tip of just what's something kind that I can do to my body because that's super tangible and doesn't necessarily involve a lot of mental work necessarily. It's just what's one physical action that I can do 
that is guaranteed to help me feel better today right now and if you do want to do the mental work yeah um, <laughs> of course to, it would be trying to figure out like why does what like what is the story i'm telling myself that is always a great a great place to start a very good excavating question love it well thank you so much for being here brie i really have enjoyed doing this interview i feel like oh. everyone's going to learn a lot from it and so if people want to continue following you where can they find you yeah, come hang out with me on Instagram, Body Image with Brie. I also have a podcast that um, I have lots of episodes already recorded. Uh, it's the Body Groovers Club. We play it on most uh, popular streaming services. And my website is www.bodyimagewithbrie.com. Amazing. And any final words for people listening? I will leave you with this. There's a quote by Glennon Doyle that says, if you have to choose between disappointing yourself and disappointing others, it is your job to disappoint other people. Oof, that's a big one. I like yeah, that. Like a light little, you know, nugget to to leave for folks. As a recovering people pleaser, that's a hard one, but I, I love it. It's a good challenge. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Bree and look forward to continuing to see you on your Instagram and listening to your podcast as well. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Food Freedom Life podcast. If you love the episode, be sure to leave a rating and review. This helps out the show so much and it just helps to get the message out to more people who are really needing to hear what we are talking about here. Until next week, I will talk to you then.